Hello, I'm Katie Manning and you're very lucky because you're listening to Gallifrey Public Radio. Enjoy! This is Gallifrey Public Radio, a weekly podcast dedicated to positive enjoyment of Doctor Who. We travel through classic and new episodes, explore the extended universe, and play a few games from time to time. We do discuss news, content that has been officially released, and the occasional interesting rumor, but we'll warn you before anything considered spoilers comes up. Welcome to episode 451 of Gallifrey Public Radio, where there are so many choices on the menu in this restaurant, we're going to come back three times tonight just to make sure we taste everything. I'm Julie. I'm Kier. I'm Haley. And I'm Jay. This week, Doctor Who Flux is wound to a close, snapped inside a fob watch, and plunged into the heart of a TARDIS. We had hoped that the, the Vanquishers would answer at least 60% of our, well, Julie's questions about the series. But we're not so sure that the passing grade was met. So what was this hour filled with? Well, the doctor faces the Ravengers on the division outpost and attempts to escape by removing the conversion plate that holds her outside the known universe. That doesn't exactly work as doing so in close proximity to the flux splits her into three instances, each having to deal with a chunk of the story's seemingly endless conflicts. The one third of the doctor ends up with Bell and Carvanista in their struggles with the Centaurans, while another third finds Yaz, Dan, and Jericho, yay, in the Liverpool tunnels. Vinder finds Diane in a passenger construct, and the two are able to get out in time to signal for rescue. One of the doctors, frankly, we lose track which, collects Claire from 1967, Kate Stewart is in the mix in 2021, and everybody is set to task, trying to tackle everything at once. The Doctor has a final face-to-face with Swarm and Azure's savior, uh, Time Themselves, who is unable to escape their prison because the final flux event has been canceled due to passenger intervention. Your time is heading to its end. It's not. You're wrong. Nothing is forever. No regeneration. No life. Beware of the forces that mass against you. And their master. What do you mean? What do you mean, their master? I restore you, Doctor. Reunify you. But for how long? Let's start with the Doctor Part 1, if you will, and that's the version that ends up with Carvanista and Bell on the Lupari ship. This Doctor is planning to spearhead the Centauran infiltration, but really ends up in a verbal showdown with the Grand Serpent. What is the significance of this sequence in the big picture? You could pull that question even farther back and say, what is a Grand Serpent's 
significance. I was going to say, I think that sequence was to try and make the Grand Serpent seem more important. Yeah, right. Don't get me wrong. I I do like Jody's whole reversed interrogation scene you know that uh, that that's that's classic kind of doctor working on a, a much higher level sussing the thing out and kind of reveling in the fact that she's got a firmer grasp on it than even she realized when her mouth opened and or started <laughs> spilling out but the the character is still so enigmatic but not in a good way not like mm-hmm. compelling enigmatic it's just a matter of is he supposed to be something more they're there, there are aspects of him that make you want to think he's Time Lord, but not. He had such a long game plan to have it fail at the end just because Kate Stewart got away. That just seemed so flat of an ending for that character who should have been dangerous mm-hmm. and literally couldn't do anything because he was looking for Kate Stewart for the entire second half right. or more. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like this, and this is one of those things that's frustrating is I'm everything that doesn't quite live up to what I hoped it was going to be. I'm constantly asking like, was this something that got cut for time or was it just half baked from the get go? And I, I don't know. And there's no way to, to be sure. It's a, I don't know if there was some grand plan for this character that just never came to fruition or if he was just always this bland. I appreciate a red herring mm-hmm. from time to time. But there's there's a difference between I, I feel there's a difference between a red herring uh, or or a, a literary diversion um, and something that's just left untended, not even unresolved, untended. Like don't put so much into this without either giving me a womp womp fooled you wink and a nod, <laughs> or something else that that like blows the character away and leaves it unresolved. Oh, he died before we had a chance to find out what the real answer was. But they didn't even kill him. Yeah. They stuck him on the little prince's planet there. And sorry, that's a reference. Uh, <laughs> and, and well, I don't know. He's either going to starve to death or get scooped up to return again. I, I don't think he's interesting enough to bring him back, though. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Unless he's someone else. Well, he's not mustache twirly enough to be the master. Mm-hmm. Uh, or or anything really of that caliber. Well, also there's the whole um, snaky thing, which isn't a master thing, except in that movie that we loved. <laughs> yeah, except <laughs> the Eric Roberts snake. master, right? Yeah. Now, I I don't know. I, I'm wondering if they might he might be in stasis right now, so they can bring him back for one of the specials, or if it's just one of those. Here, I'm going to tee this up and see if somebody else picks up this character later on down the road and does something interesting with him. But I'd, yeah. I'd, honestly, the only thing I found even remotely intriguing about him in this in- instance was the fact that he was intelligent to re- intelligent enough to recognize that the doctor was spinning the interrogation on him. Mm-hmm. You know, he he was like, "No, no, no! I'm the one that's doing the interrogation here." Like, I appreciated yeah. that. Yep, that's true, and and didn't do so with the usual kind of a, ho, 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 bluster. Mm-hmm. Um, he sort of kept it kind of cool, but you could tell he was getting rattled and, and she loved the fact that she was rattling him and, you know, cycle completes. Yep. Well, okay. So, so the next component of this, in this sort of doctor's trifecta, we've got the doctor part two, who's back in the Williamson tunnels and is meeting back up with her estranged companions and extended companions, right? So there's a lot of action here. There's a little bit of heart and soul when the, when all the reuniting happens and everything, including Kate. Um, but the, the kind of the, the critical point of Kate Stewart 
putting the TARDIS specifically back in play it, it, to is sort of like the the means that gathers everyone up. And to me, it kind of feels like the tip of the spear when it comes to the conflict resolution because it gives the means and all of the necessary analytical and and active minds to get things going. So I was left wondering, could this one chunk of the plot line have worked entirely on its own? Or was it still missing a couple of parts that are needed to get where we where we end up actually resolving everything proper? Kind of felt like I had everything I needed right there. The only thing would be maybe like figuring out why the TARDIS is better now. Mm. It, it wasn't even... I mean, there were still like the cracks and stuff in place. I mean, the door was where it was supposed to be, but... That door, that door always did. There were yeah. multiple doors popping up all over the place. Right. Um, now, we never got any explanation other than just kind of the assumption that flux activity was uh, was wonking out the TARDIS. But yeah. I, yeah. I still think all those tunnels were some kind of a TARDIS because of the way the TARDIS doors were popping up everywhere. And But the fact that the doctor then... at at different points through this was saying, has anybody seen a lot of doors? Just felt so out of place. Hmm. I know that doesn't answer your question at all, but <laughs> yeah, it just, reminds me of something else. It's I adjacent to your question. <laughs> it's adjacent. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no. I, I think that you still have to have the pieces that say, what are the plans from the other side of like, what are the Centaurans doing? Mm-hmm. So they couldn't have figured that out just by talking between them without knowing. Oh, without some. getting in for uh, the crashing the Lupari ship in and, and getting um, sort of taken into custody. Mm-hmm. Maybe, except uh, for the, I, I don't know. Really, though, maybe getting Bell and Carvanista in, in into the loop. That was the main focus of the the first Doctor, the Part One Doctor. Mm-hmm. Um, and then getting the information about the Santarans. Yes, you could have gotten the information somewhere else, but this kind of worked to get all of them together. So, but really, aside from introducing those two characters into the main group, and uh, yeah, you you really could have just done with this storyline here as the the main drive of the episode. Because I think you go from this into I can't keep track of as Hale saying I can't keep track of exactly which one which one of the doctors goes and collects. Vinder and die once they come out of the passenger when he's finally able to get his communicator to work again. I think they were paired up by that point. Yeah, once they put the two doctors together, there's not a lot of effort made to distinguish which was which at any other point Mm -hmm. in the story. Okay, right. Yeah, that that's true. Yeah, they're they're back. They're working in the duo at that point. Okay, which was an interesting. Was cute. I mean, it was it's a fun little Mm -hmm. acting exercise. Um, but I'm not really sure if I (laughs) I, playing to the ego. I am all here for the doctor flirting with herself. Like, <laughs> yes, that that is true. That was worth the price of admission right there. Mm. So to wrap up the trifecta, we have the doctor part three who couldn't leave the div- division lab and is stuck being tortured by the ravagers using a carrot and stick method of offering lost memories only to threaten an eternity of watching the universe be torn apart on a loop. Give props to Azura for a cool villain monologue, but was she imprisoned and tortured for eons as Swarm was? Didn't she willingly hide herself within the human Anna and just wait for the signal? And where was she in the millennia before Anna is, existed? Yeah. Yeah. No. I mean, maybe maybe she just likes saying, yeah, me too. <laughs> she just likes like the peanut gallery. This sucked. I had it real rough. 
<laughs> I lived in the Arctic Circle. I had salmon all the time. I, I'm not sure. I'm not. I, I don't quite get the balance of power between Swarm and Azure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really, for establishing them kind of as the big bad for the majority of this series, we didn't get a lot about them. Mm. Well, that's because we had so much going on. If if they were going to be the big bad throughout an entire series of Doctor Who, then let that be what the series is about, is learning about these characters. Because we we really didn't get a whole heck of a lot. We don't... Uh, did we even ever actually get anything saying why they were imprisoned in the first place, aside from trying to free time once before or something? I think that was it. They were just... Yeah. They either division did this because division was at the temple of Atropos in the, in the flashback, right? The, the mm-hmm. fugitive doctor flashback. So that was something division was taking on kind of like what tech was saying was like, this was, this was their specific intervention. This was the kind of things that they would intervene on. Mm-hmm. So if you've got something that's trying to upset the balance of the, uh, you know, the, the fabric of space time and in, in some being that calls itself time it's you know calls itself time itself right that's a horrible sentence structure but i don't really know how to how else to do this because these words are dumb um but then if that's a matter of the maori going to division and saying that we need these players taken off the off the field they lock swarm away but i thought they were more about space the whole point was that they were the space of they were trying to destroy space so that time had free reign. They they were trying to. I, I was getting the impression they were talking about this dichotomy, this this battle between space and time for dominance. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I th- I thought that the Ravengers are the space component, and that's why they needed all of the extra space in the universe to be cleared so that they had more power. And see that this is the problem right here is like we we can sit here and spitball a lot of this stuff, but there was no clear definition. There was no clear. This is what their agenda is. This is what they're after. This is how they got to this point. It was a lot of loose things thrown at you just enough to get you to the next scene and then move on with, you know, one of the other 17 threats that we got in six episodes. Right. And to that point, you don't even get a clear reason or expectation from the conversations with Tech Tayun about how she planned to release them, but then control them or let them be part of the end of that universe. That, that just seems like very poor planning to be like, oh, push a button, release them, they'll kill the doctor, and then decide to bring the doctor to you and give away the whole the whole thing that this was all about it just there were so many holes and i've i've tried really hard to see the positives (laughs) Mm -hmm. but i just keep pointing at all of those things that never got answered and didn't provide any of that interesting color to the background or any of these answers that would have just made this a nice story from a lot of different perspectives yeah i'm I'm sure there are a lot of really intelligent people that have been parsing this and have been sort of talking about uh, story elements that uh, were pulled from 
other references. You know, you can tell that Chris Chibnall is, is paying homage to, you know, to this, that, and the other. Um, you know, pulling into on the the current popularity of multiverse discussions within the the sci-fi scope and so on. I and and I'm not going to even venture into a lot of those. Uh, those conversational waters because a I'm wholly unqualified, uh, but two, it's just a matter of I, I I can't stop tripping over the fact that this shook off casual viewers like a tumble dryer. It just they they if we as as dedicated viewers are already resigned to knowing that we're going to have to watch every episode twice. And possibly then go and take a full vault at all six in a shot to try and get a better understanding of what really happened and, and what the implications are for the stories going forward, in either in the specials or whatever is going to be dropped into Davies's lap in 2023. That doesn't feel like great broadcast television. And to say, not to say that you can't do big serials. No, yeah, go ahead. Tell a six-part story. Tell a ten-part story if you want. That's great. But tell that story. Don't just push a story in front of me and tell me to figure it out. I like a challenge, but there's that's beyond the pale. So I feel like there's there's a couple different ways you can do a series-long arc. One is that you've got individual episodes with like a thread that ties through all of them and resolves at the end. And the other is that you've got six chapters in a story and each episode is telling one of those parts and it's all part of one big thing. I feel like this one kind of tried to do both and that's why we got such a complicated mess is it's, you know, every story is part of the big story, but also there's a couple of standalone episodes in there, kind of, that are still mm-hmm. trying to tell big parts of the story. And I think it just made it more complicated than it needed to be. Like, I well, wonder... Yeah could we tell this whole story and pull the Santarans and the angels out of it and have a more straightforward story and we get more of the actual ravagers and division and stuff and get from point Hmm. A to point B in a slightly straighter line. Yeah. I mean, this, this storyline was, was so complex and, and condensed that the only way that it could be resolved was to literally split the main character into three pieces. And on one end of the spectrum, yes, I mean, it just sci-fi thrill ride genius. It's, it, it was a lot of fun and a lot of, uh, it gave the, it gave the opportunity to play with a lot of different things. But on the other hand, it, it felt like a cheap gimmick that was practically screaming for a rewrite. So, I mean, do, where do we feel like Chris Chibnall fit on this scale? Was it, was it that he is an absolute genius? And has this story that would have been fantastic if not for X, Y, Z things, or was this doomed from the get go and production issues just kind of covered up what was going to be a failure all along? I have to be honest. I feel like this was a first draft and because no one else got to take a look at it or say, what does this mean or what does this do? Honestly, he might not even have been able to take a second read through and be like, all right, let's make sure there is some A, B, C, D across this whole platform and see where this is going. That's what I feel like. Mm-hmm. I feel like if he's a genius, when he, you know, you know, we've been talking about this, when he gets cut down from 10 episodes to six, then he restructures and edits his story in a way that works in his new constraints. And to me, it seems like what we got was stubbornness more than 
genius. Like he had this idea of what he wanted in his story. And even when it no longer worked, he was like, well, that's the story I'm telling. I, I honestly really agree because some of the stuff we've gotten from Chibnall previously has been really good. And I, I mean, I, how many times did I say something like, you know, I'm just waiting to see if he sticks the landing, but he's done it so well previously that I have high hopes. And, you know, so I know he's capable of, of decent storytelling and it does feel like it was, there were better ways to, to address some of the issues that came up. And he was just like, well, no, it, it has to have angel. I need the angels in it. They're crucial, but we never got why they were crucial. It felt like it was just, no, this is my baby. You can't mess with my baby. I've been waiting years and years and years to tell this story. You can't cut these parts out of it because they're part of what the story I was telling, regardless of what that did to the overall story. Yeah. If you've got those elements that you want to tell, don't wait until your last season to pull out all the stops. These should have been elements in previous episodes where you could have a one-off story that told something very interesting. Uh, take out the angel story and make that its own episode in a different season where you have episodic mm -hmm. challenges and that's the story that you're telling instead of trying to shoehorn it in because now this is your last chance and you want to go out on a bang, but you can't piece that in and make it be part of this overall story. It gets them to, it, it was a, a way to get them split across time, mm -hmm. but did it need to be that way? Did they have to be the thing that did it? Did it take a, did it need to take a whole episode to get you there? Those kinds of things are where I question all of the threads that went between. I, really don't have any problem with the story that he wanted to tell the the flux conflict and e and even how that is basically a continuation or an extension of the timeless child arc right what i think would have helped me um is if he knew that was going to be the case. This was his grand plan from the time he was handed the keys to the studio, right? He knew, oh, I'm finally going to get this opportunity, right? We're making a lot of assumptions here, but just roll with us. The, then he could have started to put some of the timeless child uh, elements in play earlier in series 12. Mm -hmm. Maybe even gone so far as giving us like because we didn't really get a hint of what was going to be coming until the fugitive of the jadoon right that's where everything yeah. starts going really weird and then it's just this this mad rush to the to the close of season 12 and then we've got this <clears throat> if we had started to get more of the breadcrumb or closing moments hints or or even just that that odd thing about you know the uh, newspaper article going by about um un unexpected statues in local cemeteries or something you know something that just says that there's more of this stuff going on mm -hmm. other than just the cybermen that we had in villa diodati um then that would have allowed i think a little bit more room for us to come into the flux series with a few more touchstones to hold on to so that we wouldn't have to do exposition crush. And uh, I think it was uh, our friend Riley Silverman who said this was basically six hours of Jodie Whittaker um, giving exposition breathlessly, doing it really well, but being forced to just 
you know, spew information at, you know, mm-hmm. at, at, after running into the room. No fewer than four times did we get a checklist of what needs to be accomplished before the end of this episode from the doctor. And that frustrates me because I do that in my personal life and I don't need a TV show <laughs> to also make me have anxiety and stress over all of these things that need to be accomplished. Step one, make a list. <laughs> Cross well, that out. Yeah. <laughs> And I think we knew from the time Chibnall took over, like one of his things was he had a five year plan. And I wonder if he had a five season plan that when three seasons (laughs) got stretched over five years because of, you know, the world and whatnot, uh, that he had to condense the last two and a half years of that plan into these six episodes. But the rumors go around saying that he and Jody said, let's give it three seasons and we're done. Well, maybe it was three seasons with Jody. And he had plans for a next doctor that he's not going to get now. But I don't know. It's hard to it's hard to know. I think that they had the yeah. It is hard to say, and we don't we're not there. We're not in the room. But to to your point, Haley, about about I'm shrugging, listener. Yeah. <laughs> yes. can, can you hear the shoulders pumping? The 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 need for an editor. Sure, you know we can talk about that quite a bit. They, but the 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 aspect of opening yourself up to co-writers there, I think some of the shining moments of series 12 were ones where he was able to actually take his pen off of it and say, you know what, you're, you're getting the written byline on this because this is really your baby. And we got some really great stories out of that as a result. Same thing in in series one, you know, he had huge swaths of it that he needed to tell his tale and everybody kind of said, "Eh, maybe you're not the best storyteller in the world, but you can amass some really smart people. Why don't you bring them in? You take this series, the only person who gets a, a co-credit on this was for uh, Maxine Alderton for Village of the Angels. And that was a story that we thought was particularly tight and mm-hmm. concise and had an arc and you know answered as much as it raised and and, 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 and introduced us to Jericho, who's freaking awesome. Um, or was. Anyway, is. Uh, is. Are. Continues to be. <laughs> But yeah, I uh, well, it, it's beside the fact now because we've got two specials that are going to be entirely his, and then it's a matter of you know what does he leave? What legacy does he leave? You know, the the fob watch goes down the tunnel for any showrunner down the future who wants to pick that up or just leave it be. Mm-hmm. It's not a wipe. It's not a retcon. It's a what a letdown on that though to get inside and just see the same image we've seen through the the flickery eyes so many times. Mm-hmm. What a letdown. I I would have preferred that it never got opened and then the doctor, you know, hit it in the TARDIS. Like that would have been such a more satisfying conclusion to it than oh, we're going to open it. Oh, oh no, fake out. You've already been here. You don't actually get answers. We're just going to mess with you a little bit longer. We're going to do the Eye of Momora and shift you back and forth like an apple getting eaten. Yeah, that. So weird. <laughs> they did love their loops. Yeah. They love their loops. Yeah. They love saying loops, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I write four loops in code all the time, and now that's all I'm going to think about. Loop. Ah. <laughs> loop, doctor. Well, there were some moments in the chapter where the madness quieted down, and there were really poignant scenes where we had a few really uh, tender moments that hit home. What were those for each of us? I know personally, my favorite was Jericho's demise. I shed a tear yeah, and got very emotional. Um, so that's mine. I, that was a moment where I was like, this, this feels a little shoehorned and forced, but 
I mean, Jericho's pathos managed to to make it pay off. I was like, okay, I'm I'm willing to go with this just simply because of he's standing there delivering these lines, and it was it, it was great. True to character too. Yeah, I mean, none of that. Like the, it wasn't bravado. It wasn't. It wasn't ego. It wasn't you know, I'm going down with the ship or anything of that sort that was out of character. This was him. Yeah. Um. So I, I like the fact that he played it, played that character to a point where he had his his morality and he had his conscience and he had his um his concerns, and he had his limits. To, to how far he would allow, you know, he he was no paladin. He was not, you know, shining on a hill or anything like that, but he was just a good person yeah. and figured that this was what the good person should do. Mm-hmm. He just rolled a nat one as he went to shoot the thing and the ring fell off. And it was just <laughs> one of those like, ah, you can't grab it before it hits the floor. Mm-hmm. And then he rolled another one when he shot it himself. And that's just <laughs> awful. <laughs> yeah, I, I really appreciated the fact that uh, that Yaz and the doctor had that moment where the doctor actually apologized, yeah, because that that has been rankling me from the get go. You know, they're supposed to be friends and all this, and just the way that the doctor was treating Yaz, and for her to like take a moment in all of this chaos to say, "Hey, I messed up. I am sorry for the way I've treated." Like that meant the world to me. Apologized and, and completely opened up too. Like yeah. all yeah. the cards on the table. This is what happened. This is what I've been dealing yeah. with. And I am sorry if Dan had not walked into that room. <sighs> Dan, freaking Dan. There's your Dan agenda. <laughs> there, yeah. To be a <clears throat> block <laughs> through this thing, family show. Mm-hmm. But geez, <laughs> come on, you bring me that far. Snog already. Yep. I can't say that on the air either. <laughs> I didn't say it. <laughs> I was trying not to. <laughs> um, I did, and maybe maybe it's uh, just the softiness, because I didn't really, I wasn't terribly attached to the character, but just what he was going through was Carvinista's uh, woeful um, lament on the the realization that the Centaurans had completely wiped out his entire race. Yeah. Um, now, I don't know if his howls were quite... Ugh. It didn't wake a sleeping dog. Yeah, we both looked at the dog <laughs> to see if he was going to pop a head up and say, oh, somebody's in trouble or something. Yeah, my dog didn't react that. either. No. It, Not real. It needed, the, it needed the Chewbacca roar of, of pain. There you go. Like That's that, what it needed. It, it didn't reach that level, and that was disappointing. They could have gotten Alan Tudyk to do the voiceover for that. I mean, come on. <laughs> they didn't have enough budget to pay Alan Tudyk seventy-five grand just to howl into a microphone <laughs> for three seconds. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that 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 idea. I mean, Doctor Who plays with this all the time. Being left as the last of your kind mm-hmm. uh, in existence is just one of those knife twists that they just love reaching for over and over again. And right after having to confront the doctor because they're alone together and she says, I don't remember you, but I have this very one Mm -hmm. flash of a memory of when you were important. And he's so he's left all on his own. And the one person who knew him very well has no memory of him at all. Right. The one person that he said he would have like laid down his life for was like, Oh, Oh, there's history. Like, I, yeah. I, I thought maybe they were just like on a squad together and they knew each other, but no, there is like full on history here. Yeah. yeah. Back when the doctor used to have companions who weren't just human. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. yeah, that's that's one of the little things that it's like, I get that we don't want to open up the entire history of the Doctor's previous lives, but let let this guy at least share, you know, his stories of their time together. And that's not going to, you know, open the entire can of beans. Yeah, and we don't really know. In fact, it's it's it, it could be the uncomfortable truth that we are not going to get any more Joe Martin, mm-hmm. which is brutal but it is very very possible um even so far as like handing it going into the 60th uh so i i don't i don't really know i I, I think we'll see her in at least one of the specials putting my quarter on that okay and i hope it's more than just a quick cameo view in the mirror you know shot six weeks after production had ended so everything's you know she's just in the studio by herself talking to a i don't know any other moments that were kind of the, um, that were, well, I'm glad they, they at least put a pin in that. Bell and Vendor got to come back together, and we didn't kill either of them. There you go. Huzzah. <laughs> and they're not the doctor's parents. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Well, as far as we know, uh, that where was the other end of that wormhole that we kept talking so much about, now we're never going to know. Um, the doctor's real name is Tigme. <laughs> <laughs> What that is awfully coach, like close to Tamagotchi, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I was, I was watching Vendor's reaction when he finally found out that he was baby daddy. And it was cute. Yeah. I would have yeah. expected after everything. You know, I've crossed the universe trying to find you. And now I've found you. And a baby? I was expecting him to be rocked back a little farther on his heels. but He just escaped the passenger... And he was running a lot, so he didn't have a lot of energy left. He was very winded. I also have more maths questions about how many entries he had in his log and her being very little pregnant. (laughs) Yes. We still don't know that they're human. No. Again, questions. Lots of them. Yeah. 47-year gestation period. Yeah. Yeah. It happens. Right. She's also not showing at all. I mean, maybe they don't do the same biology. Maybe it's spores. Looms. (laughs) Looms. <laughs> and so that, though, brings me to another point. So he said that one of the trainings that he did at the academy the was last. how to get, the last one was how to get out of a passenger form. But then he had no idea what to do. And Diane was the one who's like, I found this hole over here. No, no it wasn't how to get out of it. It was, it was a, being in a passenger environment. It was or being something. interrogated in a passenger or something like that. Like last... Of the interrogation chambers is how to get out of this at the academy. You should teach there. Like, she knows what that is. And she just is like, hmm, hole. I think I dug and dug and dug and found this thing. And I figure if we mess with it, it's probably good because they don't remember I'm in here. Right. Because I they think I'm insignificant, but I'm not insignificant. But by the end of this chapter, you're going to find that I'm insignificant. Yeah. I ooh, that was really yeah. underdeveloped, but we're a positive cast. <laughs> see, see, all right. So normally at this point we would do uh, a really wide lens look at the series overall, you know. And, but we've kind of been doing that incrementally as we've been going through the, the this thing since chapter one, and a lot of our opinions uh, are frankly unchanged. Um, you know, it's like good story, not so good storytelling. Um, love these performances, don't love what they gave these actors to work with they they did the best with what they were handed kind of kind of opinions Mm -hmm. effects were great but it was so much audiovisual smash um we had to watch it three times to process it and that's not fair those 
kinds of things, right? It's, it's the good and the bad, and, you're, and we've got it all on the plate. But that's not to say that there's really nothing left for us to do with this big serial attempt, though. That's for next week. All in all, I feel like I just I hit the end of this, and it felt like a it felt like there was a net zero gain. Like aside from the fact that we've got the that we've got Dan on the TARDIS, nothing really changed. There's no you know we didn't think that we'd ever see Tectayun at the end of last series. We're never going to see Tectayun anymore again now. We didn't really get any answers from, you know, the doctor's previous history or anything. It just, we got some new characters and that's about it. Everything yeah. is back to status quo. Sort of a bottle series with a Dan straw sticking out of it. <laughs> yeah. There were a lot of times over the course of this series while we were discussing it where I, I and I think others said, you know, we're going to withhold judgment until the end because they might do something great. And, you know, it's the end and judgment is released. And, uh, <laughs> There are also a lot of people that said they're going to wait mm-hmm. and just watch the six of them all in a in a in a row. You know, mm-hmm. devote a, an entire day, like do a marathon out of it. That's six hours of viewing. That's yeah. a lot of time. To Call us there. and let us know if that helps. I was going to say I don't feel like that would make it feel any better, and I don't want to do that ever. Like I know I joked about going back and watching each one and like building it back up again. I, hey. I I'm good. I've. I have a massive pile of presents that I have to wrap at some point, so I'm willing to do this. Mm. True. Also, correct me if I'm wrong, but a big part of the universe is still destroyed, right? Yeah, nothing got put back. Yeah. They didn't reverse anything. Yeah, the flux was released. We saw huge swaths of the universe get wiped away. Yeah, but not Earth, so everything's going to be okay moving on. Yeah, that's all that matters. It's fine. (laughs) The center of everything was supposed to be Earth, but now it might be time because the Ravengers shifted it when they were up outside of yeah. things. So Atropos might be the center. But it's somewhere okay. in between. Because now we also have the Williamson Tunnels. so Which go to yeah. Bernie Fire Death. Yeah, Bernie <laughs> Fire. Yep, yep. Laser death and, rays. And tiny asteroid in the middle of space with a door. Well, see, this is this is one of the things. Like over the past six weeks, we've we've discussed places where series thirteen needed a, a keen editor's eye. So next week, we're going to come back and we're going to take that hypothetical red pen in hand and see where things could be tightened, expanded, omitted entirely. Who knows? Uh, you know, all in the interest of making this a a much much better story for something so complex and something more approachable for casual viewers. So we'll have a a special guest with us for that, uh, exercise. So, you know, be sure to come back next week and check it out. Mm -hmm. But this has been episode 451 of Gallifrey public radio until next week. This is Jay saying what the flux. (laughs) This is Kira saying chocolate. This is Julie saying, uh, it's uh, time for me to go. I got to go train with Diane at Laser Quest. <laughs> <laughs> and this is Haley saying, I approach everything with caution or abandon. One of the two. <laughs> we'll see you next week. Alzi. Cheers. Bye. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Gallifrey Public Radio. Want to keep the conversation going? You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube 
or just send us a good old-fashioned email to feedback at gallifreypublicradio.com. You can also give us a phone call at 754-225-5477. That's 754-CALL-GPR, and you may hear your voice on a future episode of the show. Everything's got to end sometime, otherwise nothing would ever get started. Join us next week for a brand new episode. Jacob Hansen, Godfrey Public Radio is copyright 2021. We'll see you next week.